morning. Merry Christmas. I'm Chris Carr. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Harmony Bible Church, and I'm thrilled you've decided to come and uh, spend part of your Christmas celebration with us. I hope uh, our time together today is going to help you to celebrate Christmas uh, in a greater way than you ever have before. Uh, The truth is that here at Harmony, we've been celebrating uh, Christmas for almost a month now uh, as we are in a series where we've been examining the birth of Jesus through some of our most treasured uh, Christmas carols. And this morning, we're going to uh, look at the most treasured, most beloved Christmas carol of all, Silent Night. I say this on a good authority. Silent Night is the most recorded song in history, carol or otherwise. Uh, The Bing Crosby edition alone uh, is the third best-selling single ever. It's so revered and treasured that in 2011, UNESCO declared it an intangible cultural heritage, and there's even a silent night chapel in Oberndorf, Austria, and a replica in Frankenmuth, Michigan. Uh, now, uh, Frankenmuth, Michigan is also the home to Bronner's, which is the biggest Christmas store, uh, store in the world. Uh, and I know that, by the way, because uh, even I spent the first couple of nights of our honeymoon in Frankenmuth, Michigan, and she made me go to that store. <laughs> I'm very thankful for, very thankful for. Uh, but despite all of this, uh, Silent Night, uh, the fact that we even heard it is somewhat of a minor miracle. Uh, you see, it was created out of necessity. Let me tell you a little bit about the story. It's 1818, Christmas Eve, 1818, 205 years ago, um, and there is a young priest by the name of Jacob Moore uh, in the little town of Oberndorf, Austria, and he's getting ready for a big Christmas Eve service when he finds that the organ won't work, it won't play. Now, personally, I would have thought that that would have been great, all right? But wouldn't be so great uh, for Jacob Ward's congregation because they depended upon it uh, for their worship. So, Moore gets to work. He, he tries frantically to, to get the organ to play, but nothing that he does works. And so, he's out of luck, basically. He has nowhere to turn. And so, he decides to pray, seeking inspiration. And as he's praying, he's reminded of this poem that he had written two years before entitled, Silent Night, Holy Night. So he goes to his desk, he grabs the poem, and then he runs through snowy streets to his friend's um, house, his friend's by the name of Franz Gruber, Uh, and Gruber was an organist and a school teacher, and so Moore says, hey, can, can you put my poem to music, which Gruber does, takes him only two hours. You guys then take the song, run back to the church, they teach it to the choir, and shortly after uh, midnight, now on Christmas morning, 1818, Silent Night is sung for the very first time. It's an immediate hit with the congregation, and then it is spread all throughout Austria by traveling singers. 22 years later, King Wilhelm mandates that the carol be sung as the first song in all of the concerts of uh, Prussia. And the rest, we say, is history. Song is then translated into English in the late 1800s, makes its way to America via a book called the Sunday School Hymnal. And now on this day, it will be sung in thousands and tens of thousands of churches all around our world. An important footnote to this story is the fact that Moore didn't live to see the impact of his song. 
He died penniless in his early 40s, long before Silent Night made its way around the world. And yet it's not a stretch to say that through this song, more has reached more people with the gospel than any other person outside of the New Testament authors. So so think about this. Literally billions of people have heard the gospel through this simple little song. And it's this simple little song that we're going to explore today, and we're going to do so in hopes that we will experience the gospel afresh and anew this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 1. Um, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you. Luke, or I'm sorry, John 1 is on page 695 in those Bibles. And by the way, if you, you need a Bible, want a Bible, take uh, that one home as our Christmas gift to you. Now, I want to begin uh, with a couple of observations about Silent Night. By the way, we have the words uh, printed out in the handout if you want to follow along uh, with me throughout the message. But here are a couple of observations. Here's the first observation. Uh, the word silent, we, we should read that to mean sacred. We should read it to read sacred for two reasons. A, anyone who has experienced the birth of a child knows that it's anything but silent. All right? The mom makes a lot of noise. The baby definitely makes a lot of noise. Sometimes the dad makes more noise than anybody. I can vividly remember the birth of my oldest son, 23 uh, years ago. Um, And uh, it it was a birth where there was a lot of moaning and groaning. Uh, And not just from Eva, but from me. See, Eva had terrible back labor. And I was with her there for for most of it, rubbing her back. But then I I made a mistake, all right? I just took my eyes off of her and to the TV with ESPN on it for a moment. And when I did that in her agony and frustration, she punched me in the kidneys. And I'm still peanut blood to this day from that, I tell you that, right? Uh, But in all seriousness, there was a lot of noise going on in that room, which there has been in, in every delivery room I've been in. It wasn't silent then. It hasn't been silent in my home ever since. And you may think, okay, well, of course, you were going to make a joke. In fact, one of my kids said, are you going to make the joke about it not being a silent night? I said, yes, I am, all right? But but here's the reason. There there really is a significant theological truth here, and and here it is. Jesus was a human baby. It's important, especially on a day like this, that we affirm that not only was he fully God, but he was fully human. And being fully human— He would have needed his diaper changed. He would have uh, needed to be fed. He would have cried to let his parents know what he needed. Jesus needs to be fully human in order for our salvation. And so we want to affirm that, yes, away in the manger is not actually true. Doesn't speak the truth. The little Lord Jesus crying, he did make. We also know this, by the way, though. Because the Bible tells us there was a lot of noise on the night that Jesus was born. We've seen this the last couple of weeks in Luke chapter 2. The angels made a lot of noise. The shepherds made a lot of noise. We can bet that Joseph and Mary, and yes, even Jesus, made a lot of noise too. But back to Silent Night. I don't think the Silent was ever meant to suggest that it was a soundless night, but rather a special night, a sacred night, one that should be looked on with reverence, and awe. This is further emphasized, and here's the second observation. 
by the fact that Silent Night is followed by Holy Night. Remember, that was the original title, Silent Night, Holy Night. The emphasis is on holy. We can see that this is the key term in the carol. It's used repeatedly five times in all. And I think the point that the author is trying to make is that the night of Jesus' birth was silent because it was holy. Silent because it was holy. Now, let's talk about this word holy because it is um, a rather elusive word. And as a result, it's easy for us to misunderstand and even misuse it. So the way that we, we often use it today is as an expression of like shock and astonishment or surprise. So we say things like holy moly, holy guacamole, holy cow, or holy blank things I can't say from the pulpit, all right? Probably shouldn't be said by anyone anywhere. And here's, here's why. It's because the real meaning of the word holy has to do with transcendence, with being other, exceeding usual limits. Originally, the word holy meant cut out, so like cut above. When we use that phrase, we use it to refer to something that is on another level, that's special, that's set apart, that's separate. In fact, a good definition of the word holy is trans, uh, transcendently separate, transcendently separate. So something like, like holy, other, above, beyond, unique in its own category. And this is what the uh, carol Silent Night claims that Jesus' birth is. It's special. It's set apart. It's special. It's separate from every other birth. Silent Night asserts that Jesus' birth is in a class of its own, that it's the most important birth in history, and therefore it should be considered sacred and holy, a birth that should ultimately lead us to worship. Here's the big question, though. What what makes it so? What makes Jesus' birth such a, a big deal? Why should it be viewed with such reverence? Why should it lead us to worship? What well, has to do with two things? Who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Why is Christmas special? Why is it u- unique? What sets it apart? What makes the night of Jesus' birth holy? Well, it's because of who he is and, and what he came to do. The verses of Silent Night progressively reveal these things. So, one of the toys that came out when I was a kid was Transformers. Transformers. Not the movie, but, but actually the action figure, right? And, and yes, by the way, um, they are that old. Transformers are that old. I can verify they came out in 1984. And I, I was a little bit old to be getting an action figure at that point. Uh, but here's the deal. Some of you adults are going to get action figures tomorrow for Christmas, all right? You, you know who you are, so get off my back. Some of you are going to get that. So the, the point, though, is you remember the slogan for Transformers? Some of you 40 and older people should be able to remember the slogan for Transformers. A few of you are nodding your heads. Many more of you know it than are willing to admit it. But here was the, the slogan. Transformers more than meets the eye. Transformers more than meets the eye. I think that's what Silent Night is trying to tell us. I think it's trying to tell us that with this child, with this baby in the manger, with this child that is pictured in those nativity scenes that you have in your house, 
There's more than meets the eye. That he's no ordinary baby, no ordinary human. That just like Optimus Prime is no ordinary semi-truck, so too is Jesus no ordinary baby. Here's what we see throughout the, uh, the carol. In verse 1, we see a very serene, peaceful scene. We see Mary being pictured with her sleeping newborn. But then, as we move into verses 2 and 3, we see the sleeping baby. Oh, no. He's no ordinary baby. No, he is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the Lord God himself. He is the Savior, the Son of God, the Lord himself who has come to bring us grace. Let me show you this from John chapter 1. All right, this isn't your typical Christmas passage, and yet I hope to demonstrate how it speaks of Christmas as much as any other. Now, there's so much in John chapter 1 that we don't have time uh, to to walk through all of it, so I'm going to kind of walk through the passage and hit different parts of it. You'll you'll need to follow along with me closely, but I think if you do, uh, it will be well worth it. So, let's pick up in verse 1. Notice what John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In verse 17, John finally tells us that the word he's been talking about, that's capital W-O-R-D, that word that he's been talking about all through verses 1 through 16 is Jesus Christ. The word word means self-expression. Jesus Christ is God's self-expression. He is the one Verse 18, who makes God known. So there's a lot of questions about God, like what's he like, okay? Uh, who is he? And we've never seen God, right? We can't see God, but here's the great and wonderful truth of Christ- Christmas. Jesus Christ has come to, to, to make God known. He has come to reveal God to us. If you want to know what God is like, and if you want to know God, all you need to do is know, see, believe in Jesus Christ. Now, now, how does this work? How does Jesus make God known? Well, verses 1 and 2 tell us that Jesus was there in the beginning and that he was with God and was God. In other words, Jesus has always been both God and with God. And then verse 14 tells us that this word, Jesus, at one point in human history took on human flesh and dwelt among us. I love how um, Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He translates uh, verse 14, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So 2,000 years ago, on that first Christmas night, the the night that, that we are here commemorating, celebrating today, The one who had always been God and with God became a human. Being God 
He, he became one of us. Now, it's important, as I mentioned earlier, that, that we continue to affirm that, that Jesus was and still is God, that, that he did not stop being God and becoming a human. No, being God, he, he added to himself a human nature. Now, now, we know this because John says that we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father. The word only means one of a kind, unique, special, holy, other. Jesus is human, but he's a special human, a unique human, a one of a kind human. And that's because not only is he a human, he's also God. We sing silent night, holy night, because the one born on that night is God himself. So, I just want to affirm this to you here today. I know we have many, many visitors and just want to be really clear, and we are unashamed of this, that we do truly believe that 2,000 years ago that there was a virgin named Mary who had within her conceived by the Holy Spirit a child who was not only a human child, but was also the Son of God. We, we unashamedly believe that. And here's why we unashamedly believe that. Because to deny that is to deny salvation. It means that we are still lost and hopeless in our sins. But why did Jesus then take on human flesh? Why did God become a man? Listen closely here. He did so in order to fundamentally change our relationship with God. He took on human flesh so that God can now relate to us not on the basis of our sin, but rather on the basis of grace. Here's good news for you today. Christmas means that God can now and does now, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, relate to us not on the basis of our sin, our mistakes, our failures, but rather on the basis of grace. Christmas is all about grace. Grace has come. This is the point of verse 16. Look at it again. For from his fullness... Let me tell you what that means. That fullness means from Jesus being fully God and fully man, what is the result for us? We have all received grace upon grace. Grace and grace and grace. So do you want to know what Christmas is ultimately about? Christmas is ultimately about God becoming a man so that you could receive grace. Redeeming grace, as verse 3 says. Grace whereby all of your sins can be forgiven. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 1. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus took on flesh and blood, but he did so in order to shed his blood so that through faith in him, our sins could be forgiven and God could pour out his grace upon grace upon grace upon grace on us so that we might receive grace and our sins might be forgiven. All of them, past, present, and even future. That's what Christmas means. And so in light of this, that night that Jesus was born was a holy night, was it not? The most holy night the most sacred night, the most special night. Now, I don't know if you're getting this this morning or not, 
And we know we get a little Christmas hangover here already, and it's not even Christmas yet. Okay, maybe it's the gloom outside. But, but, but just think about this. Why is this so special? It's so special because if you place your faith in Jesus, then no longer do you have to fear God's wrath or his judgment on you, but rather you can know that God's forgiven all your sins. They've been washed away. And for you, it's nothing but grace now and forever. And the world and we all need grace, do we not? Well, grace has come in the form of Jesus Christ. And this is what makes this night so special, so sacred, so transcendently separate. It was a night like any other, unlike any other, the night that if you believe in Jesus, I'm going to make this personal, if you believe in Jesus, signals your life is no longer defined by your sin and failures and mistakes and brokenness, but instead it is defined by God's grace. It means that the banner over your life is no longer what you have done or what you have to do, but rather it is, it is, the banner is what Jesus has done in your place. He's, he's redeemed you. So get this, now you're free from guilt. You're free from needing to feel shame. You're free from any kind of condemnation. You can stop believing that you'll never be good enough or that you failed too much or that you've been too big of a disappointment. All of these things have been erased by the dawn of redeeming grace. When Jesus was born that night, redeeming grace dawned, and it is shining brightly. And for all those who believe, it drives the darkness of sin and failures and mistakes and condemnation away forever. What's more, you can now live with hope. Believing that anything can be redeemed. Your marriage can be redeemed. Your broken relationship with a child or a parent can be redeemed. Your broken mind or your broken body can be redeemed. Your trauma can be redeemed. Your past, no matter how dark, can be redeemed. And this isn't, if I just say this, like pastoral Christmas feel-good rhetoric. This is truly what the birth of Jesus means. Let me take you back to before the birth of Jesus, to a story that we're told about in Luke chapter 1, where the angel Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary and announces to her uh, that she is going to conceive a child, and that child will be the Holy One, will be the very Son of God. Now, naturally, so, so think about this for, for a second. Mary is a uh, probably 13, 14, 15-year-old girl. Again, she is a virgin. She's uneducated, all right? She's probably pretty poor. Um, and yet, Mary understands basic biology, right? And she understands that um, she's a virgin, and virgins don't get pregnant. She knows how women get pregnant, and she knows that that isn't true for her. And so when the angel announces this to her, do you know what she says? Logical question, right? How is this going to be? How is this possible? The angel Gabriel tells her that the Holy Spirit is going to conceive in her this child, and then he adds this. He says this, for with God, nothing is impossible. For with God, nothing is impossible. And my friends, th this is what Christmas means. This is how Christmas gives hope. Because with God, nothing is impossible. 
Christmas means that that grace has now burst into this world, a grace that makes the redemption of everything and everyone possible, including, get this, everyone and everything connected to you. And here's what I know on this Christmas Eve. Well, we're all here, um, and at least on the outside, looks like everything is good, and and we're happy, and and life's great. On the inside, I I know that many of us, and and I might even go as far as to say that that most of us are hurting. I know this from long experience. I don't even have to go uh, really with long experience. I can go just with the last three weeks. People experiencing incredible loss. People having incredibly broken relationships. People struggling mightily with mental health. People extremely lonely. People looking into a Christmas season where they're going to experience the pain of loss that they have never experienced before. It's true for, for so, so many of us. And so what, what do we, we need? We need hope. And you know where hope comes from? It only comes from one place. And hope comes from the fact that 2,000 years ago, God decided to do something about our situation. He decided to make a way for us to be redeemed. And so he sent his son. He sent his son to become one of us so that he could die for us, so that he could pay the penalty for our sin. So, So now through faith in him, redemption of everything and everyone is possible. And so here's what I wanna say to you today. Uh, Some of you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You you need to be redeemed. You need to have your sins forgiven. And maybe you've been trying in some way to pay for your sins. You've been working hard. You've been trying to make it, to trying to be enough, to do enough, and it's just not working for you. I can just tell you that burden can be gone today. Because when you come to Jesus, he takes that burden for you. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to work hard enough. You don't do anything but simply receive. Notice that the verse says, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, but we only receive it when we actually accept it. It's a gift, you have to accept it. But if you will accept it, you will be redeemed, you will be forgiven, and then you know what will start happening? Jesus will start redeeming the very broken parts of your life. If you have trusted in Jesus, here's what I wanna encourage you though to do today. I'm going to encourage you that maybe you you need to go back and you need to remember that you're forgiven. You need to remember that he has shown you grace and you need to live a life motivated and driven by that grace. There's one more verse I want to share with you from John chapter 1. It's verse 5. Where Jesus, or where John tells us that Jesus is a light and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So give me, give me like one more minute here today, Okay. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's what John has in the mind. Jesus came as the light of the world. And you know what they tried to do the minute that he showed up? They tried to snuff him out. You only have to go, okay, to Matthew chapter 2, and you can see that Herod's trying to kill baby Jesus. They didn't get him that time, but they eventually did get him. They killed him. They murdered him. And here's the wonderful truth that Christmas points to, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. That because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out. The world's dark. Maybe your life is dark right now. But the moment you start believing in Jesus, the light comes on and it never goes away. And the more you lean into it, 
the more it will shine into the broken, dark places of your life and bring redemption. And bring redemption. So will you bow your heads with me now?